If you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 5, read down through verse 25. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, they both were well stricken in, eight, in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be filled, fulfilled in their season. The people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. It came to pass that as soon as the days of administration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So tonight we'll look at Zacharias and the testimony of a righteous man. Testimony of a righteous man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word and to study these characters that are written and recorded for us in the scripture, uh, written for our admonition, for our learning. For our example, I pray that you help us as we look into this passage and consider this this man and his life and testimony and even his uh, unbelief. I pray that you help us to realize that he was human just like we are, yet he accomplished great things for the glory of God in spite of his times of doubt. So, Lord, just help us and encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we consider the... The man, Zacharias, first of all, I want to consider his character. Uh, he was, first of all, his position, he was a considered a righteous before God, verse 6 says, and they were both righteous, of course, speaking also of Elizabeth here. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. 
to be righteous before God requires that one be justified in the sight of God, made righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So, righteous, to be righteous before God, speaks of one being born again, as we would say it today, uh, acknowledging our guilt and our sin before God, the need of a Savior. And so this was the, this was the state or the position of Zacharias and, of course, his wife Liz, Elizabeth. So that's his position. We see also his person or his, his way he lived or way he conduct himself. It says in verse 6 that he walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So not only was he made righteous by God, he was very conscientious about the way he lived. He strived to live a life that pleased and honored God. That word blameless means faultless or free from defect. So, uh, you know, and he was, of course, he was commanded here uh, to, to raise this child, not to give him any strong drink or, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It was uh, uh, um, wine or strong drink, so he wasn't to have the fruit of the vine. So it speaks of a purity of life. And, of course, not having, uh, drinking uh, the fruit of the vine would speak, speaks of joys and pleasures of life. So he was not consumed with pleasing himself. And, and of course, John wasn't either passed on to the son. But he was concerned with the purity of life. Uh, and there, of course, these are the kinds of people that have God's ear. In James chapter three, in verses thirteen through seventeen, uh, James says this: "Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. Uh, that good conversation speaks of a good manner of living. Uh, his works with meekness of wisdom." But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom, in other words, bitterness and envy and strife, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy." And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So he was a man that walked in all the commandments. He kept the commands of God. What did Jesus say in John 14? If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, if you want to show that you really love God, you'll do it by keeping, endeavoring to keep his commandments. So there will be a, your person will manifest keeping the commandments of God. Uh, and so this speaks of a purity of life. And Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Of course, you know, we have others in the Bible that this is spoken of, the people that walk with God. Genesis 7, 1 says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of course, Noah lived in a generation of, I mean, given over to complete wickedness. Every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually, Genesis 6 tells us. But in the midst of that, there's Noah and his family. And he said, I've seen you and your family righteous before me. Uh, in Ezekiel 14, two times it says, 
Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. So these men were, were righteous before God. So this is the character of this man, Zacharias. He, was, he, was, he had been you know, made righteous by God, and he endeavored in his manner of loving was to keep the ordinances and the commands of God uh, blameless. But what you notice, secondly, he has a, he has a moment of confusion. Of doubt. In verses 18, of course, he's given this vision. You know, him and his wife, they're old and really past childbearing age. And, uh, and he's, he sees this vision while he's in the temple serving the Lord. He was, a, he was of the priest's order. Uh, he wasn't a high priest, but he was, he was the secondary priest of the order. So anyway, he sees this vision telling him he's going to have a child. In verse 18, and he says, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. So he has, you know, here there's some confusion caused by doubt. And, you know, every one of us has a potential for doubt, to doubt God's word. And do we not from time to time doubt God's word? I mean, come on, you just might as well admit it with me. We all doubt God's word from time to time. There's always this potential that we can doubt God's word when we consider that our God can do that which is miraculous. And also, his ways are not always our ways. You know, sometimes we think there's no way, there's no way possible for this to work out, but with God, all things are possible. You know, God sees the end from the beginning. We see the present. We see the present. Uh, even, even, you know, Eve doubted God. Abraham and Sarah doubted God. And Abraham was called the friend of God. Job did not understand God's ways and questioned God's ways. Job 26, verse 14, he says, Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little, little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? I used to say, you know, how little a portion is heard of him. Job 42, 2 and 3 says, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. You know, Job admitted, he said, I, I talked about things that I really didn't understand, that only you can understand. But, you know, how little a portion do we really know about God? Well, we have, we have a lot more scripture than Job had. So I believe we have a lot more information and knowledge about God, at least it's available to us, than Job had. However, our minds, our emotions can affect how much of that knowledge we receive. Uh, go to John. In fact, you know, and we don't have everything there is to know about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We don't have it. Look at John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John 20, 30 and 31 says, John says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And then chapter 21 of John, verse 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now, John probably spent as much time with Jesus as any, anybody did. You know, he was one of the first disciples. And, you know, he was the, one of the inner circle, the inner three, Peter, James, and John, went with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They went with him. And when he, when he raised the, uh, the child from the dead, he, he took those three in with him. So, so he, had, he had probably more firsthand information about Jesus than, than a lot of the others and more than just about anybody. And he says, you know, we've just written a little bit about him. Just a little bit. You see, there's always potential for that because we don't always know what God will do. And we don't always know or understand what God is capable of. We think we know. But when it comes right down to it, many times we wonder. Do we not? You know, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 9, For those the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 40, 13, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? Romans eleven thirty four. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? You know, sometimes we just don't understand God's ways, but we need to accept them. After all, his wisdom is beyond our comprehension. And he just asks that we follow him. So we see the potential for doubt, but I want you to notice the price of doubt. Verses 19 and 20, and it says, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. Now, think of the angel standing before him, giving him this news, this wonderful news that his wife's going to have a son. And, and Zachariah says, how can I know this? He said, I am Gabriel. Don't you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. This is a rebuke. And I'm sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. That means not able to talk. And not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So, so, well, you know, put yourself in Zacharias' shoes. You know, you're too old to have children anymore, you and your wife. And you have this vision of this angel all, all of a sudden telling you you're going to have a son. And this, you need to do this, this, and this with this son. And he's going to be great. And you're probably the whole time thinking... Don't you understand we're too old? Wouldn't that be the natural thing to say? Of course it would. Even Abraham said that. But that's not 
how we're supposed to. By the way, Mary didn't respond that way. She said, how can this be? And then she said, be it unto me. But, so, the price of doubt was God pushed his mute button. Pushed his mute button for nine months and some days. That's called chastening. Yeah, this unbelief can happen to us. Let's, let's look at an example here. Go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 and verse 14. <clears throat> let, let me back up a little bit just to get the context here. Uh, verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. She went and told them that had been with him, that is the disciples, and they mourned as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After he appeared in another form under two of them as they walked, that had been on the road to Emmaus, and they went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So, you know, the word upbraid, it really has the idea of scolding. He scolded him. Why didn't you believe? Why didn't you believe Mary Magdalene? Why didn't you believe these two? You know, in the mouth of two witnesses, every word, two or three witnesses, every word should be established. Yet they didn't believe it. Why not? Well, go to Mark chapter, let's go back to Mark chapter 8. And so often we are like that. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. So he's telling them, he's telling them, and, and we're going to see, he's told them this multiple occasions. That he's going to be killed, but he's going to rise again after three days. But here's the problem. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. When he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, not only did Peter, Peter spoke it openly, but the others were with Peter. They did not want this to happen. Therefore, when it did, and he rose from the dead, they doubted. Why? Because of the mindset they had. They weren't receiving his words. In fact, let's, let's go on here. Um, chapter 10. You know, he didn't just tell them one time. Chapter 10 and verse 32. Chapter 10 verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed him, they were afraid. So they knew that the Pharisees were set to put him to death. They knew it. So they were figuring that Jesus told them when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be put to death. So they were figuring, this is why they're afraid and wondering. They're amazed, and they're, but they followed him, but they were afraid. You have to give him credit for following, but they were afraid. And again, he, he took them again, the twelve, and he began to tell them the things 
should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. See, what they're hearing is the first part. They're not hearing the second part. Because they don't want to hear the first part. They're set against it. The interesting thing is, the Pharisees believed it. Look at chapter 14. You say, really? Well, look at chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. Well, well, not get not getting there yet. But look, here's a, here's another instance where Jesus is telling them, chapter fourteen, twenty seven, twenty eight. Jesus saith unto them, and this is this is during the the Passover meal with them. Ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the sheep shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that, I am risen. I will go before you into Galilee. He even tells them where to meet him. Where he's going to meet him after his resurrection. And that's where he was in chapter 16. He said, in Galilee. But again, Peter said unto him, Although all should be offended, yet will not I. In other words, I'm going to defend you. See, Peter's still the mindset. This ain't happening. Not in my watch. But look at, I said the Pharisees believed it. Look at Matthew 27, verse 63. <clears throat> 62 and 63. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that at the sea, verse said, while he is yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. So they were suspicious that somehow he was going to come out of that grave. But yet the disciples, when Jesus appears to them, or somebody he appears to somebody that they are familiar with and they go tell them that they saw him, they don't believe it. And so he scolds them. He scolded them. You know, here they are. They're, they're hiding. They're in fear. For what? Really, for nothing. They could be just Waiting till that third day. I mean, yeah, they could have been sitting there, you know, uh, sipping coffee and whatever and saying, you know, any, any hour he's going to appear. Because he said he was. But they weren't. They were mourning and weeping. Heartbroken. Do you know what this led to? It led to Peter saying, I'm going back to fishing. See, unbelief is leaning on the flesh. And Peter decides, he's gone. I'm going back fishing. What did Jesus tell Peter he was going to make of him? A fisher of what? Man. 
You don't fish for fish anymore. You don't fish for men. But see, he's going back to the flesh. That's what unbelief does. It leans on the flesh. You know, the children of Israel entered not into the promised land because of unbelief. Why? Because they trusted in the flesh and not the promise of God. You know how often we lean on the flesh? When we don't trust God, what we're doing is leaning on the flesh. How's that song say, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? It's unbelief. It's the price of doubt. We doubt God's promise. You know, it deadens our witness. It robs us of our joy. Here they were grieving the whole three days. They, they were told, after three days I'm going to rise and I'll go before you into Galilee and there will I meet you. And just as he said, he met them in Galilee. He was coming back just as he said. We don't have to mourn and be in anguish about his return because he said he's going to return. But see, they were so concerned with the kingdom. They were so concerned with, you know, even in Acts chapter 1, they're going to ask him, oh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And, and that's been the whole focus. Uh, oh, Lord, um, when you are sitting in your kingdom, can I sit on your right hand and, and my brother on your left? You see, they were, their minds were clouded with the idea of the kingdom, which is going to come at some point, but it's not for them to know when. And that's not what they were supposed to be focused on. You see, we doubt God's word when we focus on the wrong thing. Focus on the wrong thing. We get our focus on people or things and not on God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't trust in man with all thine heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on an understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And so, so this is what this is this is this is the price of doubt. We see the the protection, our protection against confusion. Notice in verse twenty, and here's his protection: Behold, thou shalt be dumb, shalt not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So these things shall be performed. They will be performed in their season at the right time. You know, the Lord said he's coming back. He will fulfill his word in his season. In his season, not mine. And so... The protection against confusion, against doubt, is to believe God's word. Take him afterwards. We need to be like the nobleman. In John chapter 4, the nobleman, Jesus enters into Capernaum, and there's a nobleman, came there from, um, I'm trying to remember where it was, but anyway, came there and asked him to come lest his son die. He was sick and he was dying. 
And Jesus said, except you see signs of wonder, you will not believe. He said, come down, sir, come down, ere my child died. And Jesus says, go thy way, thy son liveth. Just, just go your way, and thy son liveth. And the man believed and turned around and went home. And he's on his way home, and a servant meets him and said, his, your son liveth. And he says, when did he get better? And he says, at such and such an hour. And he said, it was the time when Jesus said, go thy way, thy son liveth. You see, he believed. He didn't bother Jesus anymore. He turned around and went home just like he told him to. And that's how we need to be with the Lord in his word. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 20, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Proverbs, er, uh, Psalm 56, 4 says, In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. To not trust in the word of the Lord is to lean on the flesh. You know, again, is that what not is that not what Abraham and Sarah did? They leaned on the flesh. The result was Ishmael. Ishmael. And Galatians, Paul said in Galatians that Ishmael is the son after the flesh, which speaketh to Sinai, Mount Sinai and the law. Isaac is the promised son, uh, speaks of Christ. And so we need to we need to believe. You know, Jesus said to Martha in John eleven forty. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. You know, another example of taking God as word in Acts chapter twenty six, as Paul is rehearsing his testimony before um, Festus, I think it is, in Acts twenty six. Verses 15 through 20. And he, he says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, those things in the which I will appear unto thee. So, so there's some things that the Lord hadn't even shown him yet, and he's going to appear to him. And he says, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and... Turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by the faith that is in me. Now, stop and think about this. The Lord is saying this to Saul of Tarsus, the guy that's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and put them in prison. And he strikes him down on the road to Damascus. And Saul says, Who art thou, Lord? He addresses him rightly as the Lord. And, and he asks, What wilt thou have me to do? Acts chapter 9 tells us that. And so here before Agrippa, he's rehearsing what the Lord said he was going to do. Think about it. I've appeared to thee to make thee a minister and a witness of the things which you have seen and the things that I will appear unto thee. I will show you. And then he says this in verse 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, 
I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. I accepted God's word as it was to me, and I acted on it, and here I am. Here I am, probably 28 years later, still preaching this faith. See, Paul acted in faith upon the heavenly vision, the word of the Lord directed to him. And that's, that's our protection against this confusion of debt. And then thirdly, the confession of Zacharias. Notice in verse 64, <clears throat> says, And his mouth was open. So the child's born. They asked for it to be named. And, of course, people were thinking, well, Zacharias Jr., you know. And his mother said, no, no. By the way, moms didn't name babies back then. Dads did. And his mom said, no. And so they asked his father. And they gave him a writing paper. And he wrote down, John. His name shall be John. And verse 64 says, And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came upon all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judah. So he celebrated, he praised God, he celebrated with praise. Uh, he made this widely known. Uh, he was rejoicing in the Lord. And you know we ought to rejoice in the Lord. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three 23 says, Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye see that Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. Psalm 117, verse 1, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. And so he praised God. Not only did he praise God, he preached Christ. Verse 67, His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Jesus would be of the lineage of David. So he's not talking about John here because John wasn't of the lineage of David. He was a Levite. Uh, so he'd been of the tribe of the Levi. Uh, so he's talking about Christ in verse 70. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So he, he talks about God raising up a horn of salvation out of the house of David and they would have remission of sins. Verse 77 says to give knowledge of salvation of his people by the remission of the word remission there means sending away. That's something the law could not do. The Old Testament sacrifices could never send away your sins. They only covered it. A lot of bulls and goats can never take away sins. So he wasn't talking about keeping the commandments of the, of the temple. No, he's talking about something greater than that. That was a savior that would cleanse them and send away their sins uh, from them. And so... So he's preaching Christ. Uh, he promotes his son's purpose and he instructed him. Verse 76. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. To give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet 
into the way of peace. So he promotes his son's purpose. He instructed him. You know, he he would introduce or reveal the Messiah, the Christ, uh, to Israel and the world. And really, Zacharias is is talking or speaking of him here when he says uh, that his his son would go before the the highest. That word highest is capitalized. <clears throat> so he'd be one to prepare the way, and he would give knowledge of salvation. What did John preach? Repentance, for so the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached repentance and baptism. Demonstrate your repentance by submitting to baptism, which is a picture of burial and resurrection, which would be what our Savior did for us. And so, so he preached the gospel, um, and he was, of course, you know, Zacharias taught this to his son. The word day spring speaks of a rising light. That's the, that's the defined definition of that word uh, there in verse 78. Through thy tender mercy of thy God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. So speaking about the light of the world, or God is light, in him is no darkness at all. You know, God, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And of course, this was prophesied, this is speaking of a prophecy in Isaiah 49, 6, where it says, and he said, Is it a light thing that I should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And again, Isaiah 60, verse 3, The Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. You know, the wise men came from the east because they saw the light, the star. Uh, Simeon speaks of this in Luke 2.32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So Zacharias, you know, though he, you know, he's, he's just like us, sometimes he struggled. Sometimes he doubted. But yet he was considered a righteous man. He was a man that was concerned and conscientious about his, the way he lived and conducted himself. He was also a man that praised God, preached Christ, and taught his son in the responsibility they had. You know, he had a testimony that pleased the Lord, like everyone else, though not without faults. But yet God used him in a mighty way. And, you know, God desires to use each of us in ways beyond our comprehension we just need to believe him and trust him have confidence in him and not lean on the arm of the flesh let's pray heavenly father we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight thank you for the challenge that it gives to us thank you for this example we find uh, here in the word of god that encourages our hearts and i pray that you'd help us uh, to to believe your word to act upon it and uh, just, just rest in his promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.